0: Hi there, and welcome to Plant CEO. In today's episode, I'd like to welcome Nicole Rowling, the co-founder and executive director of Materials Innovation Initiative. Hi, Nicole, how are you doing?
1: Very good, thank you, how are you?
0: I'm very good, Um, great to have you on the show. Uh, Lots of things to talk to you today about, and uh, at the moment you're in California, that's where you live, right? It is. Lovely. So let's, um, let's start by talking about what Material Innovation Initiative actually is.
1: Yeah, so now I really appreciate the opportunity to get the message out, because um, we're, we're a pretty new nonprofit, and so it's wonderful you know, to right. be able to tell people about us. Um, so we are a nonprofit, and we accelerate the development of next-gen materials, and that means materials that are animal-free and sustainable. And so we're working on creating a new industry of these high performance animal free and sustainable materials.
0: And what would you say um, are really the main opportunities in this space at the moment?
1: Mm -hmm. That's an excellent question. Actually there's nothing but opportunity in this space. Um, We really are seeing a lot of interest from consumers, from brands in the automotive industry, the fashion industry, home goods, and and even investors. So what we focus on is alternatives to leather, wool, silk, down, fur, and exotic skins. And there's really not that many materials on the market right now, or many companies that are working on developing those next-gen alternatives. And so we see huge opportunities for investors to get into the space, entrepreneurs to create new companies, and even scientists. There's a lack of material engineers, textile engineers in the industry.
0: Yeah, and I guess from you know, uh, investments at the moment in, in our space in 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 the plant based world, especially to do with food, there's a lot of investment going into the into food companies, right? And alternative proteins and cell based proteins, etc. Um, so this being quite a new area, there's there's also big opportunities also for those investors to do quite well.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, there's the the plant based food market is really saturated there's a lot of money in the space I mean we're losing track now of how many how many companies are in the space right there is no beyond meat of the materials world and so I think that that is the really exciting opportunities that we can come in and create that that new industry
0: yeah so if, if you think about I guess you know materials and material design and innovation they used to be quite obviously quite big subjects at universities and I'm not sure if it has been declining or, you know, especially with, um, also like people going into like more of the, you know, the hardware side of things versus more of like AI and software sort of development. But do you, do you think that, um, universities also need to have uh, a stronger position to, to get new scientists to have, you know create uh, many new projects and, and uh, disciplines around this space at the same time or are you seeing that there's enough scientists already in this space
1: yeah no i think there there definitely does need more scientists in the space i think i think you're right probably when you're looking at the entrepreneurs and investors and you know people coming out of business school what they're excited about right they look at where the industry is going, where the jobs are, where the, the money is, and a lot of that does seem to be, has been in tech. And materials, if you think about it, it's it's not a very sexy business, right? A lot of people who want to get into fashion want to create a brand, right? With their name on you know the bags or the clothes that go out. Materials, it's really a B2B business, right? the leather market, the leather industry is selling the leather to the brands, not to consumers directly. And I mean, leather, silk, wool, they really haven't changed over thousands of years. We've been using the same materials. And so not only is there a big opportunity to change that, but the systems are really outdated, right? Leather, it's a, I think it's a 23, 26 step process to create leather, right? That's a really inefficient system. And then when you look at the environmental impact of all these materials, all the greenhouse gases that come from raising animals, the land, all of those issues we see in the food industry for in raising animals also apply to materials. The, so like I mentioned, the land use, the water use, all of that going into these living, breathing creatures that we then need to turn into a a leather product, a wool product. It's a lot easier to take the plants directly and make them into that end material.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think we'll we'll talk about um, especially the environmental side um, in a bit, Um, but thinking about you've also done some interesting studies um, in the in the US market and also in China. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be great to get some highlights of those studies.
1: Sure, yeah, we, um, well, and that's, I think that's an important thing is that there's no, opportunity in the space if the consumers won't buy the materials. And so we tried to understand where our U.S. consumers, where are Chinese consumers at in their preferences. Um, and actually, I will tell you that the results shocked me. Um, and these were totally independent studies. We used consumer research experts. These weren't our friends on Facebook, right? This was right. You know, independent people, um, 55% of consumers in the United States already would prefer to purchase a leather alternative over leather. That's, that's more good. than half.
0: That's really and good.
1: It's, it is really good. And that's, and that's even assuming right now that these next-gen, really more high-performance materials are not on the market yet. Um, And then it was even higher in China. It was 66% of Chinese consumers would prefer the leather alternative. And then we actually thought, well, well, let's see why. Um, And most of us think it's because of the environment, people don't care about animals. Actually in the United States, actually no, it's both. In both the United States and China, 47% of consumers would switch because of animals
0: okay so that was that the highest cause that they were looking to right
1: it was um and then second highest was environment it was 29 percent of us consumers would switch because of the environment and 41 percent in china
0: okay so i think if there's these startups that are looking to develop their products maybe animals could be part of their key message followed by the environment right makes makes sense to have those in their in their USPs.
1: Well, and I, I think it's, and it really is interesting like, to think about this differently because it is different than food, mm. right? The, and we don't have any studies on this yet, but just thinking through common sense, why food and materials would be different, right? Consumers don't have that cultural attachment to material like they do to food. Right. Most of us, you know, food is a big part of your life. It's what your family does together. It's what you do with your friends. It's, you know, recipes have been passed down through generations through either your culture or your family. You don't have that with materials. Right. I think also that most people have vegan materials already. Right. I, I'm sure all of us have heard people say, oh, I don't eat vegan food you know, you're not a carnivore, right? You do eat vegetables, you do eat fruit. Um, and <laughs> yeah. so I think with materials, everyone would say, yeah, well, I, you know, I have non-vegan alternatives. I, you know, I have that in my life, right? People have cotton, they realize that doesn't come from animals and isn't a material. Right. And then there's none of that addiction, right? So casein and milk is addictive. Right. And, you know, it, you do have that, you know, real like human need for it, that like visceral. And so um, that we don't have that in food either. And then actually, it's we did another part of the study, which was technology. People mm-hmm. don't like technology in their um, food, right? It, it scares them a little bit. And initial consumer research about lab grown meat, people were opposed to it so we did actually part of the study was would people purchase leather grown from cells in a factory and 76 percent of consumers in the united states said yes and 80 percent in china so that also goes to how consumers perceive these new developments they're they're not as opposed as i think they would be in food
0: so it could be, it could even uh, leapfrog to some some degree once we have more scale and opportunity with, with the adoption rates. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think they go hand in hand, right? I think that this, um, we have to think about the, the entire industry and the whole cow as well, mm. that this is a, the cow is a, the outputs of the cow are are bad for the environment right not only up to the point of slaughter where they're then turned into leather or turned into to meat yeah. but it's it's something that we need to deal with as a society and figure out lots of ways to replace the materials that come from those animals.
0: Yeah and what, what I didn't know is that also um you know, cows are being bred uh, just for their skins. It's not necessarily that it's a byproduct from the meat industry.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. That's, there's definitely um, brands I know who own their own cows. Um, and it, it's, we're learning a lot about this industry as well. Um, mm. the, a lot of the grade A leather, so you, the top of the line leather is, has, is sold out for years. Right, because if you think about it, it it is a skin of an animal that you know can be bruised, it can be cut, um, and so if you really want that big piece of material that's going to make your high quality bag, it is hard to get um, the grade A, the top of the line leather.
0: And I also heard that some of these people who may own these, uh, you know, uh, farms where they're growing their own uh, cattle that a lot of the fences might be padded in order to protect their skin from being bruised or torn. Or, and that, that just seems so kind of creepy and bit bizarre to me where they, they, they're given that much protection because of the value of their skin.
1: Yeah, and so that's another reason we think this is a great business opportunity because if you're creating a material in a factory you know, from scratch, you don't have to worry about those same defects in the end
0: material. Got it. So um, you've also done some interesting uh, partnerships, and there's been some some cool highlights that, uh, that you've had in your report from last year. Um, it'd be great to touch on some of those, especially around the, the, the fashion and the automotive brands that you've you've uh, been being he- heard about in the industry.
1: No, I think 2020 was actually a great year of, of partnerships in the next-gen material industry. Um, we actually saw a lot of investments and the brands, so like you mentioned, automotive and fashion partnering with the material companies, right, to help them, you know, get the funds they need to develop the products and that expertise in the industry. So one of the biggest was actually Bolt Threads with their new Milo leather product. They had a partnership with Adidas, Lululemon, Kering, and Stella McCartney. Mm. So some really big names in fashion that are coming in and saying, basically, you know, we believe in this product, we believe in this new industry um, and really putting their names behind it, which is critical to get this going. Um, We also saw a $13 million round led by Ralph Lauren in natural fiber welding. They also have a next-gen leather product. So let's see, uh, Vigea, which is uh, another leather company that makes leather from the byproduct of the wine industry. They announced a partnership with Bentley.
0: Yeah, and I think that's fantastic because it is a byproduct from from grapes that would Mm -hmm. normally be disregarded. So it's reducing food waste as well. So I think what they're doing is very cool.
1: Yeah, well, we are seeing a lot of these next gen materials. They're much better for the environment. And Mm. that's part of the reason. And if we get into things like mycelium based leather, which a lot of these companies are, are using, they are using agricultural waste. Mm. To, as the as a main product
0: yeah and that's a um, uh, mushroom based isn't it yes yeah, so
1: mycelium you take the fungal spores and you put it on the agricultural waste whatever that um, plant-based product is that so the fungal spores will then start to grow right and create create a leather like product
0: yeah cool and then there was some, um, some yeah. uh, news from North Face, right? And uh, Hugo Boss was the other one?
1: Yeah, so North Face partnered with Spiber. So they're creating a, a sweater. And then, yeah, Hugo Boss and Pinatext. Um, okay. And Piñatext is um, one of the, the few companies that's at scale that's producing products that are on the market right now that you can buy.
0: Yeah, and that was, was that the pineapple-based one? Yes. Uh, Right. Uh, and that was from, was it from the leaves of the pineapple?
1: Yes. So they're taking pineapple leaves. So again, the waste of the pineapple industry and creating it into, into a leather. Yeah, um, They're actually uh, UK based. Their headquarters oh, awesome. are in, in London. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So Mr. Del Monte would be quite happy with, with <laughs> <laughs> reducing that waste. Uh, the other thing is, like, um, I was thinking, just thinking about the environment. Can you describe a little bit more about why, in general, say, leather is bad for the environment? You, you spoke about the steps involved, um, but it would be great to get some more uh, colour around that.
1: Yeah. Well, let me first preface it to say that how we account for the environmental impact of the cow. Um, Because you're not counting the entire environmental impact from that cow because some of that cow goes to a different product, right? Um, Actually, around 90% of the cow goes towards meat products, and it's about 5% that goes towards, or at least the value, 5% of the value of the cow goes towards leather. And so the way the industry calculates environmental impact from the cow is it's an economic allocation, So since 5% of the value of the cow goes towards leather, 5% of the environmental impact of that cow up until slaughter is counted towards environmental impact of leather. And then after slaughter, it's 100% of that environmental impact because you're taking that material and all of it's going into into leather. Um, And so if if you think about it, it's the very similar issues to the food industry where you have an animal Who's emitting greenhouse gases? So the methane that's that's going to the environment that's highly potent um, is coming from all of these animals. So we're looking at greenhouse gas emissions, eutrophication, and land use. So and and water use. So some of those are the biggest issues with raising cattle. And then the same with going through the the process, those I think is my 23 or 26 steps. To create leather, right. it's highly water intensive and it's actually highly chemical intensive. So I think there's around 250 chemicals that can be used in the leather process, including ones that are, are harmful to humans, like um, chromium. And so it's, I think it's um, and even you try and protect the system, you try and ensure that those chemicals don't aren't released into the environment but they inevitably are. And then not only that, it's the human impact from people who work in the industry around all those chemicals. Arsenic is another one.
0: Yeah, and all the health issues that are compounded after they've been in that industry and the the effects to their hands and and the workers and the age that they're working at as well.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of indentured slave labor in in these industries, especially in leather and silk.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, talk to me a little bit about the silk industry. So, something that I don't know in, enough about. Um, but the the silk worms. Um, I think I read in one of your reports that there's uh, millions of them that are uh, basically boiled alive, and they're using the cocoons to make silk.
1: Number one, it's actually trillions.
0: Trillions. Okay. Wow. Yeah, okay. I-
1: I know, it's it's hard to wrap your head around that. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's about one trillion silkworms that are boiled alive every year for silk production. And again, when you have any industry that are using animals, the animals are a commodity, right? And so they're really not thought of as individuals, they're, they're thought of as a, a means to create a product that brings that industry profit. And so you'll consistently see ways to cut costs, which unfortunately also means, you know, negative effects for the animals. So it is the silk excretion from the silkworm where they make a cocoon around their bodies where they're then going to transform into a moth. Um, but if you allow allow that moth to break through the cocoon, to emerge from the cocoon, and then you use the silk, the silk strands have been broken because right. the silk the silkworm has escaped from the cocoon. Right. And so if you boil the cocoon before the you know, silkworm or the moth escapes, they're then not breaking the cocoon. And you can you can unravel it in one strand, which is a you know a lot easier for the industry.
0: And how do they actually unravel it? And then they're left with the dead silkworm in the middle, right? That no. they they actually there's some processes that do that, right?
1: Yeah, it's actually I've been to a silk facility in China. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, and it's really and this is where this is to me where it's just shocking to see. Now, right, I I went actually a few years ago, but the silk process has not changed in thousands of years. So you have basically just um, boiling water in pots where they put the silk cocoons. Mm -hmm. And then there's a mechanism to, you know, sort of hand, and this is where the, there's a lot of worker rights issues. They get burnt with the boiling water because they have to get the end of the silkworm, silk off of the cocoon it then they just put them onto a spindle and it pulls them out so you have the water if you can see my hands you have the water with all the little tiny silk worm cocoons in it and a strand from each of them coming out onto a spindle that just pulls and so the silk unravels in the
0: oh wow okay yeah and thinking about innovation in that space have you seen or come across any companies who are looking to recreate that in in a new material form?
1: So there are a lot of companies that are working on next-gen silk. And I think this this is the other area to me that's extremely exciting, where we're not limited by the biology of the silkworm, right? So here's an example. A lot of the companies are working on spider silk.
0: Okay, right. Now
1: imagine trying to harvest spider silk yeah. Like there's no possible way you could do that. Yeah. Um, you know, spiders are moving around, right? They're they're not gonna sit there and just let you take silk out of them. Yeah. And so but spider silk is so much stronger than yeah. silkworm silk. Yeah. And so that that basic material, we can look at nature and say, here's a better product. How can we replicate that? And so mostly the way we're seeing the replication of silk is a precision fermentation process, which is where you're taking the protein from the animal, right, so whether it's like keratin or collagen, and you're putting that into a bacteria or yeast, that bacteria or yeast will grow that protein, and then you can extract it and make it into that end product.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that that's very cool that there's uh, that happening as well. Um, and is there any other industries that you're quite excited about um, that are limiting, you know, the use of animal skins?
1: Yeah. Well, I think if you so we do we advise a lot of investors and entrepreneurs and scientists. So if you're talking from the perspective of business opportunity. What I would say is there's not a lot of wool alternatives. So most of the development we're seeing right now is in silk and leather. Mm. So most companies are are getting into, into one of those. We're seeing very little in, in wool so far that is able to replicate the end product. Mm. And what I wanna make clear is we don't want to support companies or innovations that are producing a lower quality product. We're not asking brands, we're not asking consumers to sacrifice. We understand there's high performance needs and these replacements need to meet those needs. So it's, there, there are companies who are in the space, but just not at that high performance.
0: Okay, got stage. it. So They've got to do more, more R&D to get there basically. Yes. Yeah.
1: So, so there's huge opportunities in, in wool. Um, and then I would say there's a lot of, uh, down alternatives on the Mm -hmm. market. I mean, I have my whole bedrooms down, right? I mean, uh, next gen down, Okay. Um, Okay. but it still hasn't taken over the traditional industry yet. So I could see a lot more plant-based sources of down, um, coming forward. And then, Another option is exotic skins, so python, crocodile, stingray, um, emu, things like that that are used by the a lot of the luxury brands. Um, and it's the luxury brands are not stopping. Actually, Hermes announced a few months ago that they put forty million dollars into a new crocodile farm.
0: Yeah, I'm disappointed about that. Whereas if they put forty million dollars towards, uh, you know, encouraging a startup or creating an incubator for finding these or investing in some of these companies that would like Ralph Lauren has uh, mm-hmm. would, would be a better move, I think.
1: Yeah, I, we would have definitely liked to have seen that too. I think there would have been a huge opportunity and I could have recommended a company for them to work with in exotic skins. Um, so it's it's another area that we think is is really exciting because the price point is a lot higher. And I think that's, an and an issue that the industry needs to think about when you're getting into the new market. What is the price of the current material you're trying to replace? And can you actually get your material down to that price? I think most companies think they can, but they're gonna operate at a loss in the beginning. Um, With exotic skins, you may not need to, but you need to really ensure that you're replicating that high quality material that the luxury brands would need.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it's not too late for those companies to engage you, right? To get your advice on this. So, you know, that's that's my thing. Like even if they've made a decision, they can always come to you and, and seek your advice.
1: Yeah. We would love to work with any brands who are interested. And actually we do have a few and I mean, we're working on a press release one now that we actually just entered into another partnership with a new brand. Um, because I think we're the experts in these next-gen materials. We're the experts in this industry. And what the brands we're working with are really excited about is we're there at the very beginning. So if you look on our website, there's a lot of innovators who are listed that are public. We're working with probably around 10 to 15 companies who are not public. They're operating in stealth mode to create these new materials. The brands are not gonna know about them right just from doing public searches whereas we know about this entire industry we see where the pitfalls are in the scientific development you know we see where other brands are 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 looking and where there might be partnerships and so we do all of our services are free we are nonprofits, so all of our services are free to the entrepreneurs to the scientists to really get out this information to really build up the industry but we are charging brands who do have the money for consulting services to come in and help them understand the industry, who the players are, the science and technology, and help them source the materials.
0: Yep. Um, in terms of your existing brands, um, mm-hmm. are there any that you can talk about on here?
1: So, there is one that we are under strict NDA, um, but I can tell you it's you know, it's a top French luxury brand. Um, so to me, that was very exciting that they were interested in this space. Um, and to me, it's really exciting because there's so much going on behind the scenes. They recognize that this is a new industry that will come forward. They just don't see the need to necessarily be public about it yet.
0: So let's... um. Talk a bit about your background story, actually. Um, You know, what sort of industry were you in before you uh, co-founded this business with with Stephanie Downs, yeah? Yeah,
1: Uh, well, it's interesting. I feel like I've had quite a a different career path. Um, I am a lawyer. I did start out in corporate law, um, working on actually securities litigation in uh, San Francisco for big Silicon Valley companies um and surprisingly I actually loved it it was more of my team and really challenging work and but it didn't fulfill my you know passion for changing the world and helping animals so I started to do um, pro bono work mainly for HSUS and the Animal Legal Defense Fund um, suing factory farms for environmental violations right and I, the thing that frustrated me is that we always won and nothing changed.
0: You mean they'll, they'll set up again and uh, carry on making the same mistake?
1: Yeah, they would get a fine and just continue on with, with business as, as normal. And so I wasn't making the effect that I wanted. And litigation is expensive, and these lawsuits took years. And so I really wanted to do something that was more impactful. And so actually right before uh, founding MII, I was at the Good Food Institute. So I was there for two years and I established all of their international operations. So anything that was outside the United States was was, I was in charge of. And so it, it was wonderful. I got to travel the world, established operations in China, India, Brazil, Israel, and Europe and all of them are doing you know really well now it's exciting yeah. to see how much interest there's been in you know the you know plant-based meats around the world and i really believe in the theory of change from the good food institute that and that's you know we're basically copying them when we're doing MII which is let's let's give consumers what they want. Consumers don't eat meat or wear leather because they want to harm an animal. They do it because it either tastes good or is a beautiful functional material. And so how can we change that to give consumers what they want but not harm animals and not harm the environment? And using science and technology, right? The powers of the market, um we can we've seen that this has been so successful in the food industry and i think we can do the exact same thing in the materials industry
0: and where did your own personal passion come from to have a lot of compassion i guess for for the animals
1: according to my mom i was just born this way um (laughs) yes she tells me stories where i actually went well pescatarian at five so, I realized that we were eating meat, and eat meat came from an animal, and just inherently felt that was wrong that you know we had dogs at home I'd had those animals that I interacted with, and I didn't see you know the cows and the pigs and the chickens as being different than you know the our family pets. And so, yeah, so I went, I didn't quite make the connection with fish until a few years later when my dad took me fishing and we caught a fish. And then I realized we were going to kill the fish and flipped out. (laughs) And so, yeah. And then I went, and this is actually a good story because I, I think it shows that people aren't perfect and we all need to acknowledge our own struggles. So I started to go vegan in around 2001, 2002, went off eggs immediately and went off U.S. dairy. Um, So I actually grew up in Europe. I grew up in Germany and I just remembered seeing all the cows outside. Oh, the cows are happy. Like in Europe, the cows are treated differently. And of course it was that I loved cheese and it was very, very hard to give up cheese. And so I did the mental gymnastics necessary to ensure that I could continue eating something that I really loved. And it took me about another three years to give up.
0: Yeah. And, and it comes in transition times, right? It's not, not everyone's going to switch overnight and it does come with time and everyone's on their own journey towards this. Yeah. So. Uh, that yeah one. I
1: think that's a great way to put it we yeah. just need to be compassionate and meet people where they are yeah
0: yeah, yeah and uh, and we know a lot of the change will come from the people who are already eating meat or you know vegetarians even and then you know that cycle will start to change and you know the, the numbers here in the UK are, are you know the, the predictions for this year is that one in five people. Will be uh, will be veggie, but meat free by the end of this year. Uh, so the stats are going in the right way, I think. And and you know, even if you look at big food companies now having a strategy towards mm-hmm. plant based food, uh, then that's also going in the right direction. But when it when it comes to materials, I would like to see the big brands being more vocal about this. I think, and and especially the ones that are. Heavy, heavily reliant on on you know animal-based leather products or you know silk skins or down or, or sheepskin wool. So all those companies should should all be talking to you. <laughs> I feel.
1: Well, and the thing is too that I think they have to recognize is the industry is changing. So if you think about leather as, as a product, if it really is true, and people are moving away from eating meat, that just means that leather is gonna continue to get more expensive because you're not gonna have the supply that you do right now. And so it really does make sense to be a leader in this field and start looking at next gen materials now because what I can tell you, we've had brands come to us. I had a brand, it was around Thanksgiving that wanted a next gen leather for a line now in spring 2021 and they wanted to pay us to help them do that. And I said, no, like I, there's no way we can help you get that done. The materials are not in the market. And if they are, they're already, you know, promised to other brands. So trying to get something even for a fall 2021 line is difficult. Like we really need to be thinking out spring 2022. And so brands who are Are waiting are really going to miss out on the beginning of this industry and these potentially um, exclusive relationships with these material companies because there just aren't enough there and so we really do recommend at least brands talk to us so that we can give you that bigger insight of the market um, and you know, at least help you develop your plan for going forward because industry is going to change. It's, it's just good to be on top of it.
0: Yeah. Is there any particular brands that you personally would like to work with that you haven't engaged with yet?
1: Oh, interesting. Um, <laughs> nobody's asked me that question before.
0: Yeah, well, um...
1: um, yeah, <laughs> I, so I don't know. I mean, I, the weird thing is i don't i'm not i don't feel fashionable on my own so personally i don't know i well actually you know my sister works at burberry so right. my enough my sister's been in the luxury fashion industry her whole life
0: yeah, um, yeah. what does she do at burberry is she
1: she runs her global pr
0: okay right
1: so, um, yeah, I would love to just from a personal perspective see somebody like Burberry lead the way. Um, I think any of the luxury brands, I think it'd be really amazing to see them take responsibility and sh- use their power of their name to, to lead the charge, right? That they. You know, a lot of the big French luxury brands or even in the United States, like people respect them. They want to be like them. Make that synonymous with, you know, animal friendly and environmentally friendly materials. And I honestly, I mean, consumers seem to be moving in that direction. So if you're trying to get the next like Gen Z or even millennials, they are really concerned about the environmental impact. Right? Their entire future on this planet um, really matters. And actually a statistic we haven't talked about,
0: Mm.
1: when you look at the entire environmental impact of the fashion industry, the majority of it comes from their raw materials. So it's between, depending on what brand and what their um, output is, between 66 and 80% of a brand's environmental impact comes from their raw materials. And then when you look at all the raw materials and you look at the land use, water use, eutrophication, greenhouse gas emissions, animal materials make up four out of five of the worst offenders. Mm. And so this really is the best place for brands to focus if they want to be more sustainable.
0: Great. Yep. So yeah, wish you uh, the best of luck with with this mission that you're on, and uh, really want to see more more startups and more investments come into this uh, this space, as well as uh, brands actually doing something about net about it now. Just just a last question: uh, when we spoke about scale of what's available now, there are some companies that can fulfill, you know big requirements right now, and then some other technologies that are still developing. Is that kind of right?
1: Not, not necessarily. I feel like there's, there are of course the products that are synthetic, you know, like all of us know Pleather. We don't really support those because they're made from non-renewable sources. Yes. But if you're looking at true next-gen materials, there are very few that are at scale. So wow. one of the ones I mentioned was Pinatex, actually yep. natural fiber welding just announced they're building a new facility in Illinois okay. um, to, to go to scale. And so they, they should be up and running pretty quickly. It's, but there's not a lot of opportunities right now to purchase things for products right now, which is why it's so critical for brands to be thinking about this in their strategy, that this can't be a last minute decision. You have to be thinking about this even a year out.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, fantastic. And, uh, yeah, definitely want to see some more, more innovation and more companies springing up, uh, especially the ones that will have a big enough investment to get to the scale levels that these global, you know, brands want the fashion brands or even the automotive brands want, um, Mm -hmm. So cool. Thank you so much and uh hopefully speak to you again soon.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.